Well, good morning. It's good, good to be with you. I, uh, <laughs> I keep smiling that Alex called us dirty slackers if we don't. <laughs> so I don't know if anyone's going to remember anything from my sermon, but you'll probably remember that. And that is not our official position as a church. If you don't move halfway around the world to be a missionary, you're not a dirty slacker necessarily. Maybe you are. I don't know. Um, well, it, it's, it's so good to be here. Uh, there's been so many camps this summer. I uh, heard great stuff about girls track camp last week. Uh, middle schoolers, we had a really good time with middle schoolers out in Corbett. I went to bed last night and I was, I couldn't even think, I couldn't remember how long ago, uh, middle school camp was. It was just a week, but I was like, did, did I sleep in a bunk bed this week in a camp? I can't remember. Um, it, it was good to sleep in my own bed last night. Um, well, we are, uh, we're in the Ten Commandments. Uh, we've been working through, uh, the Ten Commandments for a while. We're in, uh, Commandment number nine today. Uh, it's in Exodus 20. You could turn there if you like. We'll actually spend, um, probably, we're going to jump around a bit, but most of our time will be in Psalm 15. Um, but if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to, to open it. I know we all have access uh, to free Bibles on our phones, tons of translations. I love that. Um, but man, I, I also would encourage you, if you, don't, if you don't have a physical copy of God's Word, uh, we have Bibles out in the halls, and we would love to give away Bibles to you. There, there's, something, uh, there's something about just having having a Bible that you can underline and, and make notes in. And, and, and I know uh, even when, I'm, when Scripture comes to mind, like I can picture, like maybe I don't remember exactly which book it is in, but I, I know like, okay, it's on that. It's on the right-hand side of the page. It's right there, and I can go find it. So uh, take a Bible from us. We, we'd love if we had to go buy a bunch more Bibles. Uh, anyway, Exodus 2016, we'll, we'll bring that up for you. Um, this is the Ninth Commandment, and it says, You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Um, why didn't God just say, don't lie, right, or, or be honest? Uh, Colossians 3, 9 won't be on the screen, but um, it, it says, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with, with its practices. And, and, and it, it doesn't come off super strong there, but, but it's, it's, it's pretty stern. He, he's saying, like, knock it off, like, quit lying to each other. Don't do that. Um, but, but with the ninth commandment, God doesn't say don't just lie, or he, he doesn't use the positive of, of, of be honest, be truthful. Um, instead, there, there's a scenario of uh, someone, someone's on trial, and, and there's a witness, and, and this witness is testifying um, about this person. And, and God says if, if you're doing that, you do not want to make up accusations. You do not want to lie. And why? Well, the, the consequences are, can be dire. Um, a person in this situation, depending on the charge, they could be killed for this, right, if, if they're found guilty of this. So God gives us kind of the worst-case scenario of, of what could happen if, if someone were to give false testimony about their neighbor, about someone. Um, lies are, they're destructive, um, and, and this shows us that. This reminds us of that, that lies, there, there's no such thing as is, is just a, a little lie. Like, all, all lies are harmful. And I, I suppose there's a couple outliers. You're lying to save someone's life. That's different. My guess is none of us are ever going to face that situation. So let's just stick with lies. Lies are harmful. Lies, lies do no good. Um, in John 8, 31, uh, Jesus says to, uh, to some Jews who would believed in him, he says, If you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples. 
and you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And my guess is all of us have heard that before, even if you didn't know that it's in the Bible, that the truth will set you free. And, and that is talking about salvation. That's talking about the, the truth of knowing that Jesus died for our sins, and that we can be forgiven of our sin. That, that's what this is talking about, that, that the freedom is, is the freedom from the consequences of sin. There's also a principle here that, that, that truth brings freedom. Even just when I speak truth to, to my wife or to a friend. And, and lies do the opposite. They, they enslave. When I lie to someone, um, I'm, I'm trapped by that. Like that lies attached to me. You know what that's like when you lie to someone and then you've got to keep up that lie. And maybe it takes more, more story, more fabrication to keep that going. So it, it, it enslaves me but also enslaves the person I've lied to because they don't have the, the truth in that situation. Like lies, they're destructive. They, they, they're, they trap us. They, they hurt us. Um, so when, when Jesus says, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free, uh, yes, uh, that is talking salvation. But even just in our daily interactions, there's, there's freedom in speaking truth. And truth really is, is something at, at the core of, of who we are as Christ followers um, but lying is, compared to the other commandments, it's maybe the most accepted one, uh, the, the one that we can swallow the easiest, right? We, we get don't murder. Uh, last week, Gary talked, we shouldn't steal, don't commit adultery. We get that. But lying is one that's a lot easier uh, for me to rationalize, for me to, to justify. And all of us, I think, are tempted daily to lie to misrepresent truth, to spin truth, to tell a, a quote-unquote half-truth, to, to tell just a, a, a flat-out lie with, 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 that's not even connected to truth. Proverbs 23, 23 says, Buy truth and do not sell it. Buy wisdom, instruction, and understanding. And this proverb talks about truth like it's this valuable commodity. Like if you see truth, it doesn't matter what the price is. You lay down that money and you buy up the whole store, right? Kind of like those eclipse glasses. I don't know if you've bought yours yet. I was sweating it. <laughs> I went to buy Mart and they were all out and I was looking on Amazon. I was going to pay way too much. I found some yesterday at Big Five if you need some still. Um, but I was tempted to buy tons and, and like sell them to all my neighbors and make a profit. Just kidding. Um, Sherry just asked if we have to have him. Maybe I bought into the lie. I don't know. <laughs> Talk to Dave Miller afterwards. Um, I just know they have to be ISO certified. Now I have no idea what that means. Um, but, but truth, the Proverbs talks about this truth. Like it's, it, it, it is so valuable. And if you come across it, you want it. Almost like we need to hoard truth. We need to gather as, as much as we can. Um, so to pay for seminary, I was a, I was a realtor. Um, and before that, like my, my work environment, I think it was pretty healthy, pretty, I hope, truthful place. I worked at a church. Um, and, and then I, and I got into the real estate office and, and I was, uh, I was just shocked at, at, at how much deception there, there was. And, and I realized in any industry, it doesn't, not just realtors, like any industry, um, teachers, doctors, whatever you are, there, there's a lot of sliminess out there. There's a lot of deception, a lot 
of lies. And I would see, uh, I would see other agents just spin things to make them sound better or a deal to be more appealing. And at first it, it really irked me. Um, and, and I found myself in situations where I'd be on the phone, uh, you know, three or four different people trying to make this deal come together. And I couldn't tell who was lying to me, but I knew somebody was lying. Like someone, someone wasn't telling the truth and they could get away with it. Cause, cause I, there was no way that I could pin them down. And, and I was, I don't know if I was disgusted. I, maybe I was disgusted. But you know what? After time, after, after wading through that for a long time, eventually I saw the appeal of it. Eventually I could see the times where, you know what? I could say this and they would never know. They would never know that that's only three quarters of the story. You know, I could do this. I could shift the blame onto someone else, my client or, or the other agents, not upset with me. And, 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 and man, lying is, it's appealing. And part of it is because a lot of times we know we can get away with it. So some stats online. Um, there's one survey. Uh, they surveyed 1,000 people, which isn't a giant sample group, but they surveyed 1,000 people, and uh, they found uh, those people admitted to lying on average about 1.65 times per day. Um, and I hear that, and I think that's a little suspect. I think they're either unaware of how often they lie, or they were lying about not lying much. Um, <laughs> Uh, one I do buy into a little bit more um, is uh, this, this study found that 60% of people lie two to three times in a 10-minute conversation. And that's, that's staggering. Um, and yet, it's probably true. It's probably true that it's that often. Um, uh, scientists say that babies as young as six months old begin to use deception, right? Like when a baby laughs because they realize their parents will run and like take pictures and all that. So they, they use laughter or they cry when nothing's really wrong. They, they just want attention. The, the funniest thing I, I found about lying, I don't know if you, I don't know if you remember the, the gorilla that could do sign language. Does anybody know that? Oh, Coco, good. Some of you know the name even. Yes. So Coco, Coco was caught in a lie. Coco lied, or she, Coco's a she, I think. Coco blamed her pet kitten for ripping a sink out of the wall. (laughs) Shame on Coco. Um, Isaiah 45, 19, this is God speaking. He says, I have not spoken in secret from somewhere in the land of darkness. I have not said to Jacob's descendants, seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. God's telling his people, trust me. Like my language is truth. That is all that I speak. Jesus said that the the devil is the father of lies in, in John 8. He says the devil doesn't stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. Like lying is, is Satan's native tongue. John fourteen six, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus says, I, I am the truth. Like, there's no greater truth than, than God. God is, is the source of, of all things that are true. Um, John seventeen seventeen, Jesus is praying for his disciples. He's praying that, that, uh, that even though they're, they're in the world, that they wouldn't be of the world, that they'd be set apart for, uh, for, for God's mission uh, to save the world. So Jesus says in John seventeen seventeen, Sanctify them in the truth. 
Your word is truth. So Jesus says, sanctify them, set them apart, make them more, more like Jesus. And the vehicle that he says to do that is, is in the truth, and specifically the, the truth of God's word. So for, for a Christian, for a Christ follower, the truth should be incredibly valued. It should be incredibly desired. We should be willing to pay whatever the cost to speak truth, to live in truth, to live uh, in, in truthful ways. Truth ought to be in our very DNA. It, it, it should flow through our veins. We ought to speak and do what is true. So do you, would you say you love truth? I asked myself that this week. Like, do I, do I actually love truth? Okay, I like truth, I appreciate truth, but, but do, I, do I want truth? Do I seek truth? One of the major ways I think all of us struggle in being honest is trying to look better than we are, right? Um, so the first thing I think of is, is dating, okay? It's been a while since I've dated. I mean, I date my wife every day, but you know what I mean. Um, so you, you go on that first date, and there's, there's deception going on. Like, you are trying to appear better than you are, right? You dress up a little bit nicer. I know for me, my, my car was miraculously clean um, and kind of smelled good. Um, this is a stereotype, but, but over the years, I've seen, you know, a lot of couples form um, through high school ministry and college ministry and, and, and ladies. I hear a lot of laughter at jokes that are not funny. <laughs> And it's deceptive. Like, they want this guy to feel something like, oh, you are so funny. That wasn't funny at all. That was, that was junk. Um, when we interview for a job, I've always felt this as a Christ for Like, I want to be fully honest and fully transparent. And yet, you're also trying to look your best. I mean, every, you, you dress up a little nicer than you probably will have to for work. You, everything you do, you're trying to paint yourself as good as possible. And, and then there's the classic question in the interview, like, what are your weaknesses, right? And then we all know you, you answer that question to make it sound awesome, right? Like you are trying to convince them that your laziness is the exact asset that this business needs, <laughs> right? So we're, we're so good at at trying to look better. And, and maybe we do this even in the things we, we purchase, you know, the, the home that we buy, the, the car that we buy, the, the, way, the way we are out in public uh, as a family or, or just on your own. Social media, certainly, there's tons of, of deception going on, and, and we're all falling for it. Um, and it's a massive problem among young people. Uh, you read... You read uh, statistics and studies that, that talk about uh, depression, anxiety, and other, other issues going on for, for teenagers and, and people in their 20s because of social media, because they see this image that it, it seems like everyone they know is out having the time of their life, doing stuff with everybody, having, a, having the, the greatest time ever, and here they are home alone, not doing anything awesome. When in reality, every picture taken you know, has filters on it, and it's edited, and, and if it doesn't look good, like no one, no one posts a bad picture, 
right? You post things that look good. Um, but it's not even just a problem for, for young people. Like, I've talked to adults, too, that have found that, that they get jealous as they, as they look through Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, and they see what their peers are doing, people that they went to school with, and they find themselves not getting or not being content in, in their own life. Um, and it, and now, or for the last couple of years, I've been wrestling through, what, what do I post? Like, how do I, how do I actually honor God through social media, through my online presence, right? Like, why do I care about composing a post that people will like? Why do I feel better when someone likes what I tweeted? That is so dumb, right? Why, why, do, I, why do I just try and look like I'm having a, a great time or that, that my life is, is awesome. And if you think about it, social media is so strange. Like, I think high school me would have punched me in the face. Like, if he knew what I was going to post in 20 years. Um, I remember being at a Mariners game, um, and uh, this person uh, went, went to go get food, and they came back with this, um, this skewer of strawberries, and it looked incredible, right? So the strawberries alternated. One would be dipped in uh, like milk chocolate and drizzled with white chocolate, right? And then the next one uh, was the opposite. I can't even remember what I just said. Uh, white chocolate drizzled in chocolate and back and forth, back and forth. I'm like, man, that looks good. And then this person holds up their skewer, right? So you could see the baseball field and probably like a Mariner sign. And they're getting their phone and they're doing this. And I laugh at them and then I realize, yeah, I'd probably do that. Um, and, and then they eat it and I don't think anything of it. And then two minutes later, like three rows over, or a few rows down, like I look, and there's another person doing the exact same thing. No kidding, five times I noticed this in my little section. How dumb. Like, what are we, what are we doing? So is your, is your online persona even truthful? Like, is there integrity in, 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 in who you are, who you project you are online? And we do this in church, too, Right? Like, it's, it's really easy to come to any church. I don't just mean our church. To come to any church and, and, and put on this happy face. Like, we've got it all together. Like, things are going good. Even though on the inside, you know, maybe it's just been a bad morning or, or maybe it's been one of the worst weeks of your life. And yet we feel this pressure to come and look like we have it together. And, and our area, Camus, I mean, we have a reputation for, for looking like everything's good on the outside. Like, everything's, everything's fine. I, I don't need anyone. I'm self-sufficient. But that's really, that's really anti-gospel. You know, the gospel screams out that, that I need help, that, that I can't make it on my own in life, that, that I need Jesus. And, and it also, Scripture also teaches us that God created us with a need for each other, right? That, that we, we absolutely need one another. So when we pretend that we're fine, and we come in this place, um, in a lot of ways, we're actually opposing, like, the message of the gospel. And I'm not asking you to, like, stand up in front of the whole church and start crying. I do that enough for everyone. Um, you don't, we don't need to do that. And I get it. Like, you don't, um, you don't want everyone to know what's going on. Um, but I hope that there are people here that you could take a risk with and say, hey, uh, or when they ask you how you're doing, and you say, oh, I'm okay. And then you realize, like, no, I'm not okay. And actually say, hey, would you pray for me? This is what's going on. I'd love it if sometimes people skipped a whole service because they, they get in the greeting time and they talk to someone and figure out someone's not doing well. And they just go in the cafe and talk and pray together, cry together, whatever's needed. Like, I hope that this is a place where, where we're, not, we're not pretending that, that we are good.
Maybe you don't share. Um, maybe you don't share because you don't want to be a burden to others. But Scripture's commanded us to bear one another's burdens. Um, when we don't let others help us, we're actually taking from them. I know that sounds strange, but but when I don't let someone know how I'm doing, when I just try and hold it myself, I'm actually taking something away from them that God created them to do. Like God made us to to help each other, to build one another up, to carry these these things together. Um, I grow when I walk through difficulty with someone. One of the most formational times in my young life as an adult, I had a, I had a friend that had been married um, a couple years uh, in college. We did almost everything together. And, and they, had, uh, they had two miscarriages when we were in college. And, and I got to walk through a lot of things with my buddy in that. We cried a lot together. We prayed a lot together. There were plenty of times where I didn't say anything. I didn't, I didn't know anything. But man, God taught me so much by letting me go through difficulty alongside my friend. So um, we need to trust. And, and part of it is we have no idea the resources that God has ready and waiting for us in other people. Uh, a lot of times we don't know what other people have been through. And when a church is ready to bear burdens, when, when everybody's in, it's really not that hard. Many hands make light work. Um, but when we're not, when it's just a few people that are ready, it, it, it's difficult. So, so are, we, are we ready to serve in that way, to be real with, with one another in that way? We're going to go to Psalm 15. Um, and this, this really talks, uh, paints a picture of, of someone that, that, that is living with integrity. Uh, 15.1. I think it'll be up there, yeah. O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? Verse 2. He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart. So 15.1, I like. Man, who, who can dwell with God? Who, who, can, be, who can be with God in, in his tent, up on his holy hill? But then 15.2 kills me. It says, he who walks blamelessly does what is right. Other translations say, uh, does what is righteous. And scripture's clear. The righteousness that we have, it is only from Jesus, right? Jesus' righteousness has been credited to our account. There's been a, there's been a bank transfer of righteousness. That's the only righteousness that we have. Um, and, and I think that as we think about living an honest life, um, living a life of integrity, it's really only a work that God can do. Like, we need God to do that in us. Um, because sin is pervasive, and, and we struggle. Not only is it all around us, but even, even if it wasn't all around us, I'm quite sure that we would struggle with, with deception, um, with, with trying to live an honest life. Um, I need God to empower me to, to live in a way where I, I don't manipulate truth to make life easier. I don't, I don't tell little lies so that I can avoid hurting someone's feelings. I need God to help me choose truth over, over an awkward situation. Um, at the end of verse 2 there, it says, who speaks truth from the heart. So this truth in this person of integrity, it is, it is in them. It's in the very core of who they are. Like, like our hearts pump blood through our body and give us life. In this person, truth is in the heart, and it's pumping life, uh, it's pumping life all through. 15.3 says, who does not slander with his tongue. So uh, the, the person of, of integrity doesn't slander. And the word slander has this connotation of a person that, that's on the hunt 
for scandal, right? That, that, that wants to go about and, and stir up trouble. Um, there's nothing loving about stirring up drama for others. Uh, so this person isn't, isn't the busybody in the office or, or in your neighborhood or, or, or church that's whispering about someone because they know juicy news. The next thing it says, they, they, they do no evil. And my, my guess is that no one um, here this week is, or this summer, like you think about your summer, you're like, yeah, I haven't done evil to my neighbor. Like that's a pretty easy one to check off, right? Maybe, maybe someone's like, oh, that was a pretty bad thing I did. But most of us, like we, we didn't do evil to our neighbor. But Jesus' standard is actually love your neighbor as yourself. Like are we loving our neighbor? Because the, the person of integrity cares about their neighbor's reputation. They care about the well-being of their neighbor. God uses us to, to bring about life. So, uh, so he, doesn't, he does no evil. Uh, and then it says, um, nor takes up reproach against his, pr- against his friend. He's not trying to discredit or disgrace or dishonor them. Um, I said this a few weeks ago, um, but, but I just, I remember growing up, my mom would say, if you don't have anything good to say, don't say anything at all. Man, we say a lot that, that really doesn't lead to any good. Um, a, a lot that, that maybe it's not evil, but, but it's not loving. It, it's not helpful. So when we speak about someone, do, do our words honor that person? Even if words are, are technically correct, are they, are they truthful? Um, are our words loving? Um, would we be proud if, if someone said those words about us. I feel like I'm in a, a time, a season lately with my kids that I, I, keep, I keep saying, use kind words. Like they're just getting at each other. And I, it's like a broken record. Use kind words. And I realize, ah, I need that. I need to use kind and loving words. I need to speak like a person that truth is, is just flowing out of my heart. 15.4 uh, says, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord. Again, this is a person that just loves truth and, and, and really despises um, dishonesty. And then it says this, who swears to his own hurt and does not change. This is called sticking to what you said you would do. That, 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 that even though it might hurt you, you're, you're going to stick to your word. Um, Jesus in Matthew 5.33, I can't remember if I've got this on the slides. Looks like I don't. Matthew 5.33-37, through 37, Jesus said, um, Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. Do not take an oath by your head, for you can't make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. And I think this has been confusing for people. They're, they're Christians that won't like, take an oath when they're on the witness stand. Um, uh, we've complicated this. Jesus is just saying, let your yes be yes. When you say you're going to do something, it doesn't matter if you're on the witness stand. It doesn't matter if you're making a sales call, if you're fishing with your buddies, if you're at home with your kids. Be truthful in what you say. Be, be truthful. If you say you're going to do it, then you need to follow through. If you say you're going to be somewhere, 
uh, or, or do something with someone, don't bail because a better offer comes along. Uh, we, uh, we tell our youth staff to under-promise and over-deliver with, uh, with students and, and with their parents. And it's because we've learned some hard lessons. I've learned some hard lessons where I, I told a kid I'd be at their baseball game or whatever it is, and then something came up and I didn't show up. And you know what? It hurts every time. It, it always hurts the, the student, and, and it hurts their parents, and it hurts, hurts the reputation of, uh, uh, it hurts my reputation, it hurts the youth group's reputation, and you know what? It reflects really poorly on God. So we, we, talk, we talk to our, our, our staff about just show up. Like, don't even tell them you're going to be there just in case something goes wrong that you can't avoid. So this verse says that, 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 man, we're willing to take on hurting ourselves rather than hurting someone else to be true to our word. 15.5 says, Who does not put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent? uh, He who does these things shall never be moved. Or another translation says, will will never be shaken. There is much security in, in being honest. You don't worry about keeping up appearances. You aren't anxious about someone tracing a lie back to you. There isn't a concern that someone's going to find out your secrets. Um, I have a friend, I think I've told this before, but I have a friend, when they came to Christ, they really experienced the, the freedom that, that truth brings. Um, and and he, uh, when, he, when he decided to follow Jesus, uh, he just got everything out there with, with his parents, with, uh, with his, his best friends. Like he, he told them everything. And I'll, I'll never forget, he was telling me about it a couple days later, and, and he said, for the first time in my life, I have no secrets. And I just thought, oh, boy, that is so beautiful, so, so freeing. Um, living a life of, of integrity means that we don't need to have secrets. Uh, when, when we want to keep something a secret, that should serve as a warning to us that actually this thing needs to be exposed. We need God to shine his light on this dark, dark place. I, I just love the, the picture of this psalm. It's really simple. It's just live an honest life. Live a, live a God-honoring life. Honor Honor your neighbor. Honor the people that, that you interact with. Speak truth. Run from evil. Run from gossip and, and slander. Man, care for, for the reputation of those around you because that is such a valuable thing. I, I was looking at, so why, why did God put the, the ninth commandment? And why, why did he give us this, this, this commandment about being truthful, about being honest, about not bearing false witness? Um, and over and over again, I kept reading one that just did not sit right with me. It basically said um, that, that God gave us this commandment because if, if you have a judicial system that is, is really messed up, then the society is not going to work. And I, I just thought, ah, I mean, yes, that's true, but I'm pretty sure God had something much much bigger in mind. And, and the reality is it all comes back to, like, like I talked about earlier, God, God is truth. It comes back to who he is. And, and if you are a Christ follower, you are, uh, you're his representative, right? We are, we are ambassadors for Christ. We're made to reflect God's image. And even though that image has been marred because of sin, when, when people look at, at me, when people look at you, they should be able to catch glimpses of, of who God is. They, they should be able to see uh, who God is. And, and when we lie, when I lie, it's about me. Right? Even if I'm lying to protect someone else, 
my guess is it's probably still about me because because I don't want to I don't want them to have a bad day or I don't want them to get in trouble like that's about my feelings still um, every time I lie I, I think it's about me but when we choose to speak and live truth it's about Jesus um, I, has everyone seen the movie Miracle 1980 U.S. hockey team right like one of the, in my opinion maybe the best sports movie ever um, so if, if you don't know the story um, uh, it, it's uh, hockey team I, I think it may have been the last one with collegiate athletes, no pros yet. So they, they're assembling this team, um, and, and Russia is like the powerhouse they've won for a long time. I don't know how long. Um, and they get all these college, uh, the best college players in the United States to come and try out, and they select these players. And, and I mean, these guys are good players, so they're competitive, right? And some of them, like, there are a couple players that were on the same team, and they knew each other. They're, they're tight. They're, they're bros. Um, and then there are others that, like, lost to the other team, you know, in the playoffs the year before, and they're still, like, mad about it because they swear that the other team's dirty or whatever. So they're not exactly getting along. And, and Coach Herb Brooks, he's trying to, to bring this team together, and he has them introduce themselves. He has, Say your name, where you're from, and who you play for, right? So, uh, so one guy, Jack O'Callaghan uh, from Charleston, Massachusetts, uh, forward for Boston University, right? And so all the guys go through this. This is how they introduce themselves. And, and they go on, and, and, and Herb Brooks is, like, working them hard. He tells them, like, you are not good enough to win this thing. You don't have enough talent to win this on your own like you need to be fast you need we're going to be the in the best shape of any team in the olympics and they're playing an exhibition game and um they're, 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 they're not playing well. They're, they're losing. There are guys that are like on the bench and they're, all they're doing is checking out girls in the crowd. Like they're not into the game at all. And Herb Brooks is just like boiling. He is ticked off. So the game's done and he tells them to go to the end of the rink and then they're going to skate lines just back and forth and back and forth. And, and they start skating and, uh, the Herb yells again. And then his assistant coach has to blow the whistle. If you remember the scene and they're just going back and forth and back and forth. And the whole crowd's gone at one point the janitor like shuts off the lights right like come on get out of here right um eventually the janitor gives up and gives the keys to one of the assistant coaches like you lock up the building like i'm out of here but herb is gonna make these guys skate and they're uh, they're winded i mean these are these are these guys are in amazing shape and they're they're dying out there and uh and herb yells again and the assistant coach that's supposed to blow the whistle, you can tell he's not comfortable with it. Like, he, like this is, is too much. Um, and, and Herb yells again. And, and the coach is just about to blow the whistle. And then a guy yells out, Mike Rizzioni. <laughs> right? And it's all dramatic. And, and, uh, and he says, uh, let's see, he says, uh, Winthrop, Massachusetts. And he's panting. And Herb yells, who do you play for? And the music's getting big and dramatic. And, like, I'm literally getting chills right now. Um, it's all dramatic. And he says, I play for the United States of America. Right? <laughs> it's like, it was way cooler than that. But uh, it's this awesome scene. And, 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 and before, uh, before all that, Herb's, like, chewing him out. And, and he, he says, uh, he says uh, when you put on that jersey, you represent you and your teammates. The name on the front is a whole lot more important than the name on the back. And, and I just think, man, it's, it's so easy to live this life as if it's all about me, as if it's all about my name. Um, but the gospel tells us that it's, it's not about me. 
It's all about Jesus. Jesus is our only hope, period. Our, our, our life is in God, and it's for his glory. And, and that's what we need to be concerned about. John the Baptist, um, his role, our, our role, I guess, is, is like John the Baptist. In, in uh, John 1, 7 and 8, this is talking about John the Baptist. It says, he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, speaking of John, he was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. And our life, and this is why we need a life of integrity. Not so life will just go better for us so that people will trust us, but, but, but our reputation matters because like John, we are witnesses of the salvation that only comes through Jesus, that Jesus freely offers. We're here to testify to a perishing world that God forgives our sins, that Jesus paid the price, that, that, God, that God is truth. Uh, Jesus, at one point in Matthew 10, he's, he's speaking to his disciples, and he says, and you'll, you'll be dragged before governors and kings for my name's sake to bear witness before, uh, before them, before the Gentiles. And I'll tell you what, I, I want to be a credible witness. I want to be a witness that, that people will not doubt I want to be a witness that can testify uh, about how good Jesus is, about the, the life, the freedom that Jesus brings. I don't want people to be able to question um, be, because I've, I've bought in to lies. I've bought into to deception, that, that I've sold deception. I, I want to live for truth. Uh, our testimony shouldn't be in question, right? We, we should be the best neighbors. We should be the best coworkers. We should be the, the, the parents on the soccer team or the students in the class that, that people go to because that person is so honest. Even though, even though it, it might hurt what they say sometimes, they know you'll shoot straight with them. Let, let's, let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that, that you are truth. I thank you that, that truth can be known. And we, we live in a, in a culture uh, where, where a lot of people don't even believe that absolute truth is, is real, that the truth can be known at all. God, you are true, and, and we want to testify to who you are. We, we want to be bright, shining beacons that, that point to how good you are, how loving you are, that there is forgiveness from sin. Lord, would you change us? Because that work can only happen through you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.